turn to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to read, hear his holy and errant word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we now read your word, compel us all simply to take you at your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, and do not let us get away from your word without being caught by its promises and powerful joy. For we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 33. Hear the word of the Lord. It is written, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lair. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his, sal- in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our shield and our help. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let the steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. On April 11th, 1970, 50 years ago this past Saturday, Apollo 13 blasted off into space from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And as many of you are well aware, two days into that disaster of a mission, an explosion in an oxygen tank in the service module of the spacecraft led to a a cascade of issues, not the least of which was the oxygen venting into the abyss of space. What had been a mission to the moon in an instant became a struggle for survival. Just like the crew's plan to stand on the moon disappeared into the vacuum of space along with their oxygen. In a moment, 
Can you imagine the disappointment of having such a great expectation destroyed? Something that they had been planning for, training for, longing for, gone in a flash. Fred Hayes, who was scheduled to execute a moonwalk on that mission, recently reflected on that explosion. He said, I was sick with disappointment because I knew pretty quick that we had an aborted mission. But really, that wasn't the beginning of the disappointment of the crew. Just two and a half days before the launch, Ken Mattingly, who was scheduled to serve as the command module pilot for that mission, was scrapped from the flight after it was discovered that he had been exposed to German measles. He never even got to step foot into the spacecraft. In 2001, recalling how he learned the news, Mattingly said, I'm driving up the road, turn on the radio, and hear NASA announce that they have substituted Jack Swigert for me. I just kind of pulled over to the side of the road and sat there for a while. If this was a practical joke, it was well done. But I don't think this is a joke. And it must have seemed like a cruel joke. Mattingly, who never actually contracted the German measles, had all of his dreams, all of his aspirations, not just postponed, but seemingly canceled due to a precautionary step that proved unnecessary. It's not like this was a trip to Disney World that could be rescheduled. In the blink of an eye, over a thousand hours of training and planning for this mission seemed to go down the drain. Mattingly's dream of going to the moon, as far as he knew, was over. Just like that, kaput. Disappointment really is an understatement for what the Apollo 13 crew must have experienced. All of their plans interrupted abruptly and drastically. We know how the story ends though, right? After adjusting their flight plans to maximize their available but depleted resources, the crew managed to slingshot themselves around the moon in their mangled spacecraft on a trajectory back toward Earth. And on April 17th, Apollo 13 and its crew splashed down safely in the South Pacific Ocean. And wouldn't you know, there was, unfortunately, no in-person events this past week to commemorate the 50th anniversary of what has been dubbed a successful failure of a mission. Any plans that were in the works have been interrupted by this coronavirus pandemic. And perhaps this is a fitting outcome in light of all that went so horribly wrong during that mission. Just one more aspect of this mission that didn't go as planned. I was thinking about Apollo 13 this past week and I thought how apt of an illustration this was for our current situation. I imagine that many of us, if not all of us, have been affected by this coronavirus pandemic. It represents the single greatest interruption that we have perhaps ever experienced in our lives. And many aspects of our daily lives have been disrupted, but perhaps for some of you, 
you have also had some pretty significant plans that have been altered, canceled, or put on hold. Perhaps some of you have had travel plans canceled, not to the moon, but disappointing nonetheless. Some of you perhaps had bigger plans interrupted, like walking your graduation ceremony or making a major move or retiring at the end of this year. Babies have been born in the midst of this pandemic to parents who had hoped for a smooth and healthy delivery surrounded by family and friends. These hopes were reduced to simply wanting nothing more to get in and out of the hospital as quickly as possible while coming into contact with as few people as possible. Perhaps some of you know people who were scheduled to get married in this past month. I do. Great celebrations downgraded to friends watching online. These are major life moments irrevocably interrupted. Some of us simply had plans to continue life as normal with work and school and daily activities. All of our plans abruptly changed due to a virus. Businesses shuttered, schools dismissed, dismissed, recreational activities ceased. All without any idea of when life will return to normal. Then in the midst of this pandemic, last weekend on Easter Sunday, our region was struck by three tornadoes. And we have been reminded or awakened to the reality of how quickly and dramatically our lives can be derailed. All of a sudden, you're under lockdown order in your home or working endlessly as a medical professional or as an essential service provider or fighting for your life in a hospital bed or standing among the ruins of what was once your home. And some who had grand plans just a few weeks ago are now just trying to survive, whether figuratively or quite literally. And after weeks of sitting at home, sort of like Mattingly sitting in his vehicle after hearing that his plans to go to the moon had been scrapped, we've all had an opportunity to allow our ruined plans to ruminate a bit. And perhaps we have felt at least some tinge of disappointment. Or perhaps we have felt utter devastation. And so on this 50th anniversary of the Apollo 13 mission, it's a good time for us to consider how we are to view life's interruptions and what we are to do when our plans are suddenly uprooted, when in a moment our lives are flipped upside down. The reality is it doesn't take a pandemic or a tornado for our plans to be interrupted. This is part of our living on this side of of eternity where things are constantly changing, where life is constantly in flux, where everything is subject to decay. And that isn't to say, however, that our plans are always changed for the worse. Not infrequently do life's interruptions bring obvious blessings. Nor is it to say that our interruptions are always major ones. Often we are interrupted in small, albeit very frustrating ways. But in moments like this one, when we are reminded that we are not in control, we need to remember who is in control. 
While the world is subject to decay, it is not subject to utter chaos and random chance. God is sovereign over all things. So even though it might be a bitter pill to swallow, the truth is that men make their plans, but ultimately God's will is done. Psalm 33 affirms this truth. Verses 10 and 11 state, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. It is a simple but profound truth that men can make their plans, but unless the Lord builds the house, as Psalm 127 states, those who build it labor in vain. Despite all of our planning and preparing, our plans can come to nothing if the Lord wills otherwise. And really, this is a truth that we find repeated again and again in Scripture. Scripture is not only filled with affirmations of it, like Proverbs 19.21, which teaches, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's also filled with examples of how God frustrates the plans of men, like we find at the Tower of Babel, or the prophet Jonah getting swallowed by a whale or Saul being blinded on the road to Damascus. He does all of this for the sake of his glory. Again and again, we're reminded that we are not the masters of our fate. We are not the captains of our destiny. And while it's been revealed that human plans are frequently hindered, God's will is never frustrated. So how about us? How do we, as those who are in Christ Jesus, handle life's interruptions? We can view the interruption of our plans as an inconvenience, and we can despise it. We can pout, and we can stomp our feet like little children who are disappointed that they have not gotten their way. We can cry out, why me? Why now? Why this? And this might be the very natural thing for us who live in a culture of convenience and efficiency and productivity to view every traffic jam, every loss of internet service, every sick child as an assault on our perfect plan to do what we have determined is good for that moment. But even in the culture of the ancient Near East, found in scripture, we see demonstrated plenty of examples of this sort of attitude toward interruptions as being unwanted and unwelcomed. The truth is, as sinners, we're prone to selfishness and pride. We want to be our own gods, having freedom to do what we want, when we want. And Psalm 33 gives voice to this sort of attitude. Verses 16 and following speaks of God's discerning gaze as he looks out over his creation at people who try to exert their will by their own power. Verses 16 and 17 tell us though the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. We often live in this delusion that with the proper amount of power or intelligence or material resources, we can make anything happen. 
And we see it in scripture where people plot and plan, devise and scheme only to have their perfect plans foiled. The best laid plans, right? We see nations going into battle believing that victory will be theirs by by their sheer size and strength. But scripture often reminds us that nothing happens outside of God's will. Even mighty armies are overwhelmingly defeated. Fortified cities are reduced to rubble. Great kingdoms are toppled. Scripture also affirms that where we do succeed in having our way, that it is not by our own ability, but by divine decree. And yet, we are witnesses right now to humanity's attempt to exert its will. We've grown weary of waiting for this virus to disappear, haven't we? We've grown tired of this unwanted interruption, so we have now determined that it is high time for life to return to normal. All the talk this past week has been on reopening the economy because we had determined that this thing would be over in a few weeks. I'm not making any judgments about what is or is not the proper course of action. I'm only making observations about human behavior and attitudes. But we must acknowledge in this moment that even as the world shakes with eagerness and ambition to reopen, The Lord is sovereign. This isn't anything that we can fix or force. The Lord is all-prevailing. This is the message of Psalm 33. There is then another way to view life's interruptions. Understood within the providence of God, interruptions can be seen as opportunities to experience the grace and goodness of God within the context of, of God working out his good and perfect will. Rather than fussing and whining, we could be seeking to live in affirmation that God is sovereign. Psalm 33 presents us with a very interesting perspective about how we should react to life's interruptions. It presents God's sovereignty, even his frustrating the plans of the peoples, as a reason for praise. Yes, that's right. You did not misunderstand what I just said. Psalm 33 presents our interruptions as a reason for praise. Look at how the psalm begins. It begins first with a call to worship because God is worthy of all of our praise. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord. Sing to him a new song. But the psalmist wants us to understand why God is worthy of our praise. So the psalm provides several reasons why praise befits the upright, beginning with the connection between God's word and his works. Look at verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love. The psalm draws a connection for us between God's word and his works because these two things go together. God never says one thing and does another. There is no inconsistency or hypocrisy with God. Nor are his words and actions ever out of step with his character. He is always 
in his words and his actions, righteous and just, faithful and loving, because that is who he is in himself. And we see this perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God's word embodied on earth. And just as God's word and works go together, so too does his creation and providence. God has created all things by his word, as verses 6 through 9 point out. And when God speaks, things happen. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Then in verse 9, the psalmist adds, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. But God has not just created all things and then left creation to its own course. No, he has a purpose and a plan for his creation. And this is what verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 33 are telling us. He remains then actively involved in his creation, sustaining it at every point. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, by God's word, that is Jesus Christ, all things were created. And it is in him that all things hold together. Or as Hebrews 1 states, Jesus upholds the world by the word of his power. Therefore, God exercises sovereign control over his creation. And as the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to the mind. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. This is exactly what Psalm 33 is communicating. So we must notice here that while man's plans are subject to frustration, his wisdom is finite, his strength is limited. God is not in any way constrained. God's strength is boundless. His wisdom is infinite. His plans are perfect and inalterable, unalterable. But the psalm also tells us that the Lord is working for the good of those who fear him. Verses 16 through 19 state, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Isn't this the same thing that the Apostle Paul says is true of those who are in Jesus Christ? Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we should remember that the Apostle Paul says this in the context of telling us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And reminding us that we live in a creation that has been subjected to futility, is waiting to be freed from its bondage to corruption. He wants us to understand that even our suffering is not without purpose in God's plan. It is working for our redemption and for our sanctification. The author of Psalm 33 has the same goal here. Even the frustration of human plans in accordance with God's will 
is followed by and set in the context of God's redemptive purposes. And so even though we might never understand why God has willed something, we know that God is using things for our good, even and perhaps especially our unwanted interruptions. These are moments in which God is refining us and fitting us for his kingdom. He's teaching us to trust in him alone, reminding us that life is not in our control or under our power. He's teaching us to submit to his authority. He's teaching us to long for our eternal home. These are not pointless moments. They are given to us, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So we're called to praise God. We're called to praise him because he has created all things by his power and by his wisdom and by his infinite goodness and righteousness. He upholds and rules creation as its sovereign king. And by his steadfast love, he is redeeming those whom he has chosen. So praise God during times like this because we can be assured that this is not simply a random incident that was hatched out of a wet market in China or from an accidental leak from a laboratory in Wuhan. Although it's difficult and perhaps impossible to understand why, this is all happening within God's sovereign will. It's not a surprise to him. It is under his complete control. And even though we have no idea how long this thing will go or how this thing will end, we can have confidence in God's goodness. He has proved himself faithful to us, especially in his son, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died that we might be reconciled to God and welcomed as his children in his eternal kingdom. Therefore, we are to sing a new song before the Lord in this moment. And what that means is that we worship God with fresh insight and awareness into God's goodness and grace in our lives. It's especially in these moments when we find ourselves in these unexpected circumstances that we are plunged into new areas of dependence on God and allowed to step into deeper relationship with him. It's in times like this, however painful or uncomfortable the experience may be, that we are being freed from our dependence, our hope on the things of this world. And we shouldn't miss that this psalm moves us from praising God to placing our hope in him. And so what are we to do when life throws us a curveball? We are to, first and foremost, worship God all the more fervently and with all the more depth of understanding of his sovereign care over us. But we're also to find our security in God's sovereign will, placing our hope firmly in him. And the psalm gives us four evidences that our hope is in God in verses 20 through 22. I want to identify these for you and encourage you to consider these as the proper response to the interruption this pandemic has caused and in every interruption that life may bring. This is how we respond with childlike faith rather than in a childish manner. First, the one who hopes in the Lord is patient. 
The one who hopes in the Lord is patient. Verse 20 states, our soul waits for the Lord. Waiting before the Lord is a sign of surrender to the power of God rather than trusting in human strength and power. God does things in his way and in his timing. And we can wait before the Lord or we can push our will. And there are many times in scripture where people tried to force their will. It doesn't turn out well. In Numbers 14, for instance, Moses tells the Israelites who demanded to go into the promised land even after the Lord had forbidden them from entering into it on account of their rebellion against him. Moses says, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. They, of course, ignored Moses's advice believing that it was their destiny to acquire the promised land when they wanted. And we know what happened to them. They were decisively defeated. But consider Ken Mattingly. What Ken Mattingly didn't know while he was sitting in his car that day was what would occur in the days to come. That a few days later, it was going to be vital for the survival of his crewmates that there be one who knew the spacecraft and its systems inside and out back here on Earth to help them return safely. He was that man, and his purpose was revealed only from the destruction of his plans. Only perspective will provide any insight that we might get into God's hidden will. And only patience will help us to get that perspective. Therefore, our patience reveals in this moment our hope in the Lord and in his perfect timing. Second, the one who hopes in the Lord is confident. The one who hopes in the Lord is confident, not in his own plans, but in the Lord. Look at the rest of verse 20. God is our help and our shield. Life's interruptions have a way of shaking us out of our self-confidence we realize how fragile our plans really are. But rather than leaning into the Lord during an interruption, accepting it as from the sovereign hand of the Lord and seeking to discern why the Lord has us here, we can instead begin looking for our own, looking to our own resources or the resources of the world as the source of our strength. We can attempt to plan our way out of the interruption. And we see the Israelites always looking for ways to get out of the desert, even though that is where the Lord had them. It's where he wanted them to be. But James warns us against putting confidence in the plans we make. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So James instructs us. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We need to put our confidence in the Lord's sovereign care, run to him as our strong tower, rest in him as our defender. We look to him as our savior, no other. Third, the one who hopes in the Lord is joyful. The one who hopes in the Lord is joyful. Verse 21 states, for our heart is glad in him. Scripture repeatedly tells us to be joyful even in the midst of affliction The Apostle Paul writes from a jail cell instructing the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because, as James says, the testing of our faith that occurs 
through the trials of life produces in us a steadfastness. Every interruption is a moment that God has given to us for our sanctification. Brothers and sisters, what are we making of it? But why else should we be joyful? Because even though our circumstances constantly change, our hope is in a God who never changes. His promises are sure. Therefore, our hope in God should provide a buoyancy in our lives. We should not get discouraged or depressed when things do not go our way. We should not live in the disappointment of our unrealized plans and goals. Our hopes are not in these things. It is in God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who loves us and is working all things for our good. The hope we have in God is a hope that does not disappoint. Therefore, it is a hope that produces joy. Finally, the one who hopes in the Lord is informed. The one who hopes in the Lord is informed. Our living in hope before the Lord is rooted in who we understand him to be. And look at the rest of verse 21. We trust in his holy name. As I stated a few weeks ago in my sermon on John 17, God's name is associated with his character. Exodus 34 verses 5 and following says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, that is Moses on Mount Sinai, and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Do you trust that this is who God is? Therefore, in the midst of this dark moment, we can grope around and question who God is and why he's doing these things, or we can trust that even in this darkness, even in a time when God seems silent, that we know him to be the God he has revealed himself to be in ages past, especially in Jesus Christ, who stated in John 17 that he has manifested God's name to us. He was the perfect revelation of God who demonstrated the depth of God's love for us, who revealed the extent to which God would go for our redemption by suffering and dying on a cross for us. And as the one who perfectly revealed God to us, we shouldn't miss how he handled interruptions in his life. When in the middle of teaching, a man was lowered through the roof on top of him. When on the way to heal a little girl, a sick woman touched him. When a blind man called to him from the side of a road. When children came and crawled into his lap. Did he meet these interruptions with frustration or despair? Of course not. He met them as moments brought about by his father's hand. And it was in these moments that we see some of the most powerful expressions of the kingdom of God, opportunities in which God's grace and goodness were on full display. Dearly beloved, this is our moment. This is our holy interruption. It is God's doing How are we handling it? What are we doing with it? I pray that we worship God and our lives reveal the hope that we have in him, especially in Jesus Christ. Through our patience, through our confidence, through our joy, through our understanding of who God is for us. May we be edified in this moment and may God be glorified. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do indeed give you thanks and praise that you are sovereign over all things, that your plans are never frustrated, Lord, but you work out your purposes in each and every moment of our lives. So, Lord, help us to have perspective when life is interrupted. Help us to worship you. Help us to serve you. Help us to continue to follow Jesus Christ with all that we are. For we pray this in his holy and precious name. Amen. And now let us stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the 